You're listening to Get Real, talking mental health and disability. My name's Karenza Louis-Smith and I'm joined today by Robin Hayden and Isabel Calvert for our very first podcast, Carers. And who cares? Talking Mental Health and Disability, um, Get Real is the name of our podcast. What we're really interested in um, with this podcast is what is it actually like to live with a mental health condition or a disability or, or both? And how can we make life better for people who face these complex challenges in their lives? So our aim here at Get Real is to present some really frank and fearless conversations about mental health and disability, including people with lived experience and frontline workers who work in the industry, as well as policy makers and advocates and I guess in that vein that's really Isabel today why we've chosen um, the topic of about carers so a carer is somebody who looks after someone um, who faces a significant challenge in their life carers don't always identify as carers they're just looking Mm -hmm. after someone that they love but can you give us a bit of insight into the community and economic impact of of carers how many are there there's an awful lot of them Robin there's about uh, two and a half million approximately carers in Australia it's about 12 percent of the Australian population and most of these are women about 55% of carers are women so caring is quite a gendered thing Um, there's an assumption that women are going to do the caring so that, Mm. that comes through in the statistics Um, A lot of them are over the age of 55, so there are challenges um, for people who are carers looking after themselves uh, and going into ageing. They they worry about what's going to happen to their loved one as they get older, so this is a big issue for them. Um, So the average age of a carer is 55, and actually in Aboriginal communities, the average age is even lower, 37 for Aboriginal communities. So, you know, carers of of all ages, we have children who are still at school caring for their parents, caring for their mother or their father. We've got young people caring for people. We've got elderly people caring for their caring for their children. It spans across all age groups, all genders, all socioeconomic groups, all locations. Everything. So right. about twelve and a half, uh, two, two and a half, two, two and a half million people in Australia are, are fulfilling this role. That's a huge number. That's and huge. today in our conversation cafe with Carenza, we're going to hear from two carers directly, and also one of Irma's support workers who works in our in, in our care kind of area. But what we've seen, I guess, as an organisation is that as a result of deinstitutionalisation, carers have really had to take on an even higher share of the care of people Mm -hmm. with mental illness in the community and that that care that they give often takes place in in isolation. So you mentioned earlier when we were talking about this topic, um, preparing for today, just the amount of money that carers contribute to the economy by way of the services that they actually provide free of charge. What, What is that? It's an awful lot of money. There's about $15 billion that the government saves in Victoria alone per year because of the unpaid services that carers provide. So one in eight Victorians in Australia, uh, sorry, in Victoria are unpaid carers. Um, And as I say, these people can be spouses, parents, children themselves. Um, $15 million is is a lot of money that we're saving. 15 billion is even more. 15, <laughs> what did I say, million? It's 15 billion. There you go. $15 billion is a lot of money that we're saving the, the Victorian government. Um, but also carers carry a superannuation cost uh, in their caring roles. They, mm. they, they carry a superannuation cost of about fifty to $60,000 in lost super that they lose because they can't work. Um, and the average income of a carer is about $520 a week if they're being paid anywhere. That's 
42% lower than the, the the average income of every Victorian. So there are all sorts of economic costs that, are, that affect carers that go unnoticed. It's un, unrecorded, unnoticed cost uh, to carers, but also un, un, uh, cost that doesn't impact on the Victorian government coffers. Absolutely, and that's really just the the hard costs that yeah. we can quantify um, around the cost of being a carer. There's also some significant impact. Uh, I know you said that studies have found that carers report some positive aspects around yeah. their caring, um, like companionship and fulfilment and em- enjoyment and satisfaction. But there are some negative effects as well on on their psychological health. Um, carers seem to carry more of a burden of depression and anxiety Absolutely. than the than the general population. What what are the studies in, that you've identified that support that? So uh, there are limited studies. It was a very interesting study in about 2007, so a little bit old now, but um, it, uh, noticed, it noted that um, carers have the lowest collective well-being of any group uh, in Australia. Um, Carers Victoria estimates that there's a, the majority of carers, about 56% of carers, um, have at least moderate depression, at least moderate depression. Wow. Some of our carers, actually the, the boundary between carers and clients gets a bit blurry sometimes because there's a lot of stress involved in caring for someone with a mental health issue, right? Yeah. And so their own mental health, carers' own mental health is jeopardised through this. Um, right. So a fifth of our, our carers actually experience severe depression as well. Right. So other things include anxiety, psychological distress, um, isolation and loneliness is a big one because there's just nobody to talk to about these things. Not many people understand. It's particularly difficult for young people, I think, when, you know, all of their friends are going out and socialising and, and, you know, enjoying their youth and going out to new jobs and tertiary education, all of those exciting things. Our young carers are really isolated. Um, yeah, they don't have the kind of support that others have and their friends don't understand what they're going through. I think you said earlier, actually, that one in 10 carers in Victoria are under 25. Um, 13% of child carers aged 5 to 14 do not attend school. That's massive, isn't it? And in terms of the elderly kind of at the other end of the spectrum, 162,000 carers in Victoria are over age 65 and the average age 55. So that exacerbates, I guess, the challenges of looking after other people when you're you know you maybe don't have the capacity to to do that yourself so we're going to um to go to Carenza in the conversation cafe now talking to some of our, uh, our carers who can really provide some insights into what it's really like My name's Karenza Libby-Smith and I am in the Conversation Cafe today um, with Julie, who is a carer support worker, and I'm joined by two carers, SJ and Lynn, and we are going to be talking all about being a carer and who cares. So we might start, um, Julie, what if, you know, you've been doing this work now for quite some time as a carer. carer. Well, actually, what is a carer support worker? Let's start there. Um, I support people who support their loved one with mental health and I try to remind them that they've also got a right to live their life and that they're just as important as the people they support. And so you've been working for care with carers now for how many years? Three years, I think. Three years. And what do you think, what are the things that you've seen that um, you see carers coping with on a, on a daily basis? The struggle, guilt. I think guilt's going to be the biggest thing. Carers feel guilty for everything, whether it's their fault or not. They're guilty if they go out and have a coffee with a friend. They're guilty if they go get their hair cut. They're guilty if they go to the shops. 
they should have done more. They should have been at home. They should have cooked a meal. They should have taken the, their loved one to get the haircut. They shouldn't have got it. So they're guilty for everything when they shouldn't be because they're just as important. Well, they're quite incredible, really. And, you know, listening to, to, I guess, what carers do, I think many of us aren't really aware of what it's like or what it means to, to be a carer. Um, SJ, you're 20... I'm 24, 24 on March years the 9th, old. yeah. And you've been a carer since you were 17 years old. Yeah. So tell us a bit about that. Who, who are you a carer for? I'm a carer for my mum and, well, in... When... <laughs> in transition to that I'm also a carer with mum for my two younger siblings my mum has um uh depression and diabetes and post-traumatic stress disorder and borderline personality and the list of stuff goes on and on so how how did you at the age of 17 so I'm thinking at 17 most kids are at you know school or maybe maybe just just beginning to leave school and thinking about a job and a career for yourself I'm taking a guess that being a carer for your mum wasn't your first career choice no it definitely wasn't I was going down the line of being a support in some way my two younger siblings have special needs so I was looking into becoming an education support coordinator, worker, aid sort of thing. I like I always been since I was young, always loved helping people. So, yeah, so I would always help my grandma, and yeah. So there you are at the age of seventeen. Something happens mm. um, that changes your life. Yeah. Um, so the situation happened with your mum. Yeah, she um went through a really rough patch where she was getting cyberbullied and already had depression so it just added on to it and a lot of other things that she hasn't even told me to this day that happened and stuff that she doesn't want me to talk about which I respect happened and she decided that she was going to try and have an overdose and so at at the age of 17 there you are your mum's tried to take her life yeah and you're then there with your younger siblings with special needs thinking how do I try and change this or what do I do I didn't even think I just did. I went, all right, what would mum do in this situation? I had amazing friends of mum's that decided that they were going to help me. I took year 11 off school and I was isolated at home for that whole year. I did school from home. I had friends come in and my my mum's friends come in and take the kids to school for me. My dad kept working because he just didn't know, know what to do. Mm. I was the mum that stayed up with the gastro, the vomiting. I did the dishes. I did the cleaning. I walked because I had no licence. I walked to the shops to grab stuff and walked back. Um, I did everything. And that's that's a young person at the age of 17 doing all of those things. That's quite incredible. You know, I just, I just had to do it. There was no one else to do it. And I think, Lynn, your story is different but similar as well in, in the situation that you found yourself in, that you, you had to do it. So tell yes. us what, what led to you. So you've become a carer for your daughter. Right. What, what, tell us what happened. Right. Um, I was a nurse. Uh, on a weekend, Karen was complaining of tummy pains. So off to the doctor's, yes, appendix. So in the afternoon, she went in to have her appendix out. We weren't made aware what we were going to find when we went to the hospital. Um, Karen was in a room by her... Or Karen was in a mixed ward and I said, there's something really wrong. They and put her into another ward. She's six, isn't she? So this is your six-year-old Yeah, daughter. this is my six-year-old girl. I'm a nurse. Um, 
and I knew on that weekend there was something really, really wrong. They picked Karen up, carried him to another ward. She um, went very pale at that stage. I didn't know her blood pressure had dropped. They moved her up into another ward. Anyhow, they said to my husband and I, oh, everything going to be all right. We'll be right. We go home, we come back, and um, they're working on Karen. So then she was, she was unconscious at that stage. So she was rushed through to one of the big hospitals in the city, um, had a, an operation where everything was meant to be okay. She had a, a massive hemorrhage, lost her blood clotting factor, and this went on for days. And um, they found she had a, a te- well, she had a temperature. They discovered what it was. She was in a coma, of course. Um, after a, a few days, when they found, like with the temperature, that dropped down. Then she started to show some response. Karen was moved into the sunroom, and um, always on the weekends on Saturday, we always had a coffee at lunchtime, and her daddy had a beer. So they were the first words that Karen spoke that day: "Daddy, have a beer, mummy, coffee." Okay. And, um, yeah, even as you can hear, I still to this day, like she's 50, 51 now. Um, but anyhow, it was a long, long walk. In those days, she didn't get the assistance, the help that you get now. No. And so the consequence of that, that, um, that episode, that scenario was that, you, you know, um, she ended up with an acquired yes, brain injury. Yes, she did. She had, an, she had an OBI. She was paralysed down the left side. She had to learn to walk, to talk, to speak. But she learned very fast, which was absolutely wonderful. But then, as a mother, what would have she been? That's right. What would have she been? Yeah. So but you can't do that. You can't do it because it just ruins you. But Karen was in hospital for nearly three months and I used to go in every day in the ambulance or Red Cross um, to sit with her. Um, and in the evening, her dad and I would go in. So for those three months, but then when she came, where was the help? And um, I think what's, you know, um, really a powerful takeaway, isn't it, is, you know, for both of you, two significant in- incidences just turned your lives yeah. completely upside down, yeah. turned your life upside down as a mother of yeah. your child, and it turned yeah. your life upside down as a child yeah. because of your mum. Yeah. Julie, you know, um, to people who become carers find themselves suddenly, like SJ and like Lynn, thrust, thrust into these roles. It's so common. It's so common that they give up their lives for the people they love. It's an unconditional love. But in the process, they forget to live their own life. And is they, it, they is fi- it forget or is it that you just can't? It's a bit of both, bit to of be both. honest, yeah. yeah. It's a bit of both. I forgot what age I was for a very, very long time and only just realised how old I am again. I forgot that I was young. I've missed most of my child, my childhood and my teenage years. Yes. I missed it. I only recently started dating and it was only because I'd known him five years and he'd known my carer background and he'd known what he was getting himself into. And because of that, we didn't date very long. We got engaged very quickly. Um, so I'm happily engaged now, but 
I didn't date. I still do not have a lot of friends because the friends I had would ask me to go out and I go, oh, no, I can't. I've got my mum. And they just gave up on asking me. So I have felt to this day I'm still very isolated mm-hmm. from everyone because mm-hmm. the first thing I think about is, oh, okay, um, I can't go out until I know what mum's doing or what if someone's going to be around for mum. Even if she's doing really well, it's always in the back of my mind. And Julie's right when she says guilt. Mm. I, she still works with me on it. I tremendous guilt for just being smiling or looking mm. after myself. It's tremendous guilt mm. that my mum's at home suffering and I'm enjoying myself. Mm. I'll Trem- just share, if you don't mind, when it came to ha- us having a five-year five-year-old son, we, my husband and I, decided that we would not allow his sister's illness to rob him of his life and to protect him because it wasn't his fault. No. And and that's what we did. And as as, as time went on, Karen could come with us, but we'd make sure Anthony and and right through Anthony's life, that was how it was. That's what I've done with my siblings. I sheltered them. They they didn't know until about two years ago. My brother was very smart and he knew that mum was ill, but he didn't know the extreme. I sheltered them. I made sure. I spent all my money. Sorry, I still don't have a lot of savings. I spent my money letting them, getting them taken out to the Mm. movies, go have the best childhood they possibly Mm. could have because I wasn't getting it, but I did not want them to Mm. have to look after mum the way I did. Mm. Yeah, something very powerful about... Um, having to make those choices and it sounds like for both of you all of your needs are stopped put on hold they don't matter anymore it's everybody else mm. in when I life. do an assessment on a new carer I always ask two questions and the first one is I'll pretend I'm, I'm meeting you for the first time yeah. can you please tell me like who you are oh, I'm Carenza and what does Carenza do oh, okay great question so many times people just go I'm a carer yep and then you've got to prompt them. And it can be five minutes before you go, but who is Carenza? It took me half an hour, didn't it? <laughs> Almost gave up. Because, we become, <laughs> because we've become the role that we have. And I imagine, uh, you know, and we've spoken about this a little bit earlier too, that um, you guys have had to be fierce advocates. You've had to fight to get the things that you need for the person that you're caring for, that loved one. You know, Lynn, you had to fight for the things for your daughter. Oh, I definitely. And then, you know, like it being that um, 13-year malpractice and going through all that. But Gary and I did that because, you know, justice. Yeah. You know, like you have to answer to your mistakes. You're not, you're not, it's very difficult when you're, you know, and you know these people that actually did their operating in that and it's like now I did go back nursing and I'm I'm, it's just a quick thing I I thought of I was first day at this nursing home and I'm who at the front door is walking in and it's one of the doctors one of the doctors that um you know like with the anesthesist they never she never had an intravenous put into her vein if she'd had that done but then I, I went over and I shook his hand. I said, I don't hold malice because what was that going to do? It's only going to eat me up. It was eating me enough mm. that I had lost my daughter. Now, I didn't have mum and dad. 
Mm-hmm. I never had parents. My grandparents brought me up. So my family was my life, my husband, my children, and I wanted to be the best mum, but I didn't have a choice, did I? No, but then I had no to choice. overcome it. Yes, and that takes courage and bravery and I can't imagine how hard that would be. Mm-hmm. And it's not to have any guilt about your own parents because you don't know them. Yes. So you leave that alone and you get on with your life and try to do the best. But many a time, um, you know, you think, have I done my best? Should have I done this? Should have I done that? But then you can't do that. Because what are you doing? You're destroying yourself Mm. and you go on all your life. I mean, I suppose it's only like... In between all this, Karen was a, a victim of crime um, 11 years ago. So that, now she's so much worse with her disability. So once again, you've got that on the top of everything. And once again, you just keep fighting. Yes. And this is where Irma came in. I was desperate. I needed somebody that would help me to to laugh, help me... At that time when I was with them, to forget about it. Yeah, to forget about it. And, and, and that's a difficult thing after mm. all those years that you, you know, and not to feel guilt. But now I hope with the NDIS that Karen will be able, I can't do the caring with her anymore. Um, and and that, that's so sad. Uh, but you but we want argue. to know that you've got things set up so that you can see yeah, Karen have yeah, that quality of yeah. life. All of those things continue. Yeah. You want to share quality time with her, but it breaks your heart to yeah. see the battle she has. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, you've got your funding. I said, oh, that's so nice. And I said, by the way, who do I go to to find out who I should get? Oh, there's a list. Just have a look on the list. So it is tricky, isn't it? I think that's one of the things for for oh. you guys as carers. It's here's the service system, you know, here's some funding, you know, which I think the NDIS actually giving a guarantee is fantastic. It's a great thing. Here's the funding, but now you guys have got to go out there and try oh, no, and work they out rejected how to make me, it work. My mum. So they your mom, rejected your... my mum with all of the information we gave and multiple times into the psych ward and parks. They rejected her. So we are fighting tooth and nail at the moment for her to get funding so that I can keep working because I have to take time off work to look after her. And with your mum's um, illness, is it episodic? Does it go up and it go down? It goes up or? and down. She's like a roller coaster at times. I walk on nails sometimes around her because I don't know if she's monkeying around or if she's being serious or if she's having a good day or a bad day. Like I've left her at home today. Um, in bed I don't know if it's because of depression or because her bad back's bad I never know what really is going through her head Mm. what's the lowest points as a carer that you guys have got to that you felt you know when you felt alone that there's you know the story of who cares who actually cares who cares about you guys many a time I've rang um some of the phone numbers that you can ring um Alfred Care, Alfred Care used to be good at one stage, but um, that's different now. But it's just to find somebody at that time at night. Um, night's the worst when I go to bed. That's when my mind, you know, runs a million miles, and I've just got to speak to someone. Mm. Yes, 
it's just a word of encouragement to say, come on, you can do it, you can do it. But at times you just wonder, can I do it anymore? Mm. You know, and like when Karen doesn't mean it, but when, you know, she can get abusive and the other day she couldn't find something and she kept saying it was there and we kept saying, no, it's not. But with that I got the box and I literally threw it um, to prove a point. And then she says to the grandson, well, there you go, I told you, Nan smashes everything up. It's hard, Julie. The amount of times I've heard from carers that um, they just wish they would get sick or they think they think of having an accident while they're driving, not to hurt anyone else, but just so they can end up in hospital and have a holiday so somebody else can look after them. So there's no holiday? No, no there is really no holiday at all. I've gotten to the point where I've been driving to work after staying up all night with my mum and looked at a tree and went, if I just hit that right, I won't kill myself, but I can get into hospital and I can finally have someone look after me. Because my dad can't cope. I don't have anyone looking after me until I've just... Until my fiancé came along. I didn't. But even he doesn't know what to do. The latest incident, I was literally curled up on a ball three weeks ago, bawling my eyes out uncontrollably because my mum got sent home from the hospital even though there was a a stab mark in her stomach and burn marks on her arms. And she actually said, if you let me walk out that door now... I will go run in front of a truck and they let her walk out that door without me knowing because I went to the toilet. I had to race after her and find her. I And I told them, I said, what are you doing? I can't do this anymore. I'm seven. I'm only 24 and I'm you're letting me do this. And they're like, well, it's her choice. Mm. And that's a horrible place for SJ to be in. And, the, you know, there's been several times where I've got phone calls from SJ really upset and you just want to pick him up and hug him. Yeah, you do. Um, so it's a, it's, it's a tough gig, isn't it? Unpaid, thankless, not recognised, takes away all the things that everyone else takes for granted, those friendships, the networks, the going out, having a good time, the feeling carefree. No recognition or acknowledgement. 24-7. 365 days of the year. Yep. And, Lynn, if you don't mind me saying your age now, you're 78. Yes, I am. And so you've been doing that for many... Many, many years. More than 70 years. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You know? And I had to go back to work, um, which and then I went to uni. So these were things that I never dreamt that I could do. But I was very lucky because I had a nursing home that believed in me. I didn't have anyone else, but that unit manager and that said, Lynn, we'll pay for you. But I had a fun job. I was a a coordinator in aged care, and it was only 30 beds, but then I did my back as nursing. So there, you know, you win one and you lose another one. Yes. But, um, oh, yeah, I, I, I don't know how I have done what I've done. I don't know um, how you've done it either. <laughs> I really don't. I think you've just got to... You just day by day. day, I, by day. I, it's not even day by day, I don't think. No. It's N- with minute by minute or quarter minute, quarter yeah. minute. Like I, Every breath is just yep, keep yep. going. Well, I, what, what kind of a phone call am I going to get tonight from Karen? Mm. I, um, you know, high fi you know, I'm going, wow, things are working out. Go around there last night to cook tea. 
had a bad care again today. I said, you tell me she was good. No, she wasn't. She wouldn't do what I asked her to do. Now, because Karen's got an ABI, they treat her as if she's brain dead. She's not brain dead. Give her a go. So, and, and this is once again where the mother comes in again. Absolutely. And who's going to do that? Like what you say, who's going to do it? The grandson said, oh, this is what you should do, Nan. Oh, yeah, fly a kite. It's, so, um, it is, isn't it? It's the, if you're not there doing it, who is doing it? Who's yeah. going to do it with the same care, the same love yeah. that, that you guys yeah. do? Because this is someone that you, yeah. you love and you care for. Well, my daughter says to me, you get $50 a week, Mum. For carers, $50 a week. And how many times do you run over there to make sure she's all right? You know, this coming week we'll have um, physio, um, we'll have somebody else in to make sure everything's right so she's not going to fall over. But she cannot show any response back to say, oh, mum, thanks. No, that's that's the hard part, isn't it? You yeah, want, you know, and you're the same with your mum. You know, she does say thank you, but... Does she mean it? I think sometimes she does mean it and yeah. I think she does at yeah. times but the thank yous come when she's really well. It's the abuse I cop in and between that I can go six months without her really telling me how much she appreciates mm. And me. for what you're doing, mm. yeah. Yeah, so it's a, it's no love job. It sounds like a no love job. And Julie, that's fairly common that you see with lots of carers, similar experiences. So common. So when I said before I have two questions that I ask, the second question I ask is who's the most important person in the household? And 99.9% of the time they're going to say the person that they, they love, the person they support. I actually go, no, you're wrong, I'm sorry. It's actually you guys because if you guys become unwell, mm. then what's going to happen? Mm. So when I come in, um, the, the, the carer will just talk about their loved one because that's what they're used to because only – People only even want to hear what they've got to say about the person they're caring for. And I actually go, you've got 15 minutes to talk about the person you love and then we're going to talk about you guys. And they find that really strange at first because they're not used to the focus being on on them. And I find that, you know, sometimes it can be in quite a short amount of time. It can just be a matter of weeks. You can see such a growth in them where they start to go, yeah, I can... I can live my life as well as care for somebody. But sadly, the carer funding is decreasing. So NDIS is coming out, carers are getting more freedom, and then that funding got pulled. And the world's changed, hasn't it? The NDIS is changing the world in some some cases yep. for the good, and in other cases it's harder. And certainly listening to carers, it seems like for carers it's, become, it's becoming harder. Oh, that's where the emotional, like as you were saying, mm. that's where the emotional stress comes. Like, as I know I've got this meeting tomorrow, but don't build your hopes up too high, Lynn, yeah. where I'm thinking and saying, well, gee whiz, you know, I've nearly got all the boxes ticked, with, but then I've got to go tomorrow and believe. But everything that I've had to do, the NDIS, the person that was meant to be Karen's support coordinator, never followed up. So it was always me chasing up everything that she needed so and and that becomes just so tiring and then I become grumpy absolutely yeah yeah yeah. it's it doesn't end and I think that's the thing I'm hearing really really clearly about being a carer there's no as you Mm. said before there's no holiday there's no break there's no Mm. I'm I'm having long service leave now I've earned my three months long service leave Mm. there's none of that and and there's no 
in some ways there's no financial reward for doing it in fact it's a huge disincentive because you can't work um the things that other people are doing you're not doing any of those things but in there you're just battling for the person that you love and the person that you care for because you want the best the Mm. best life for them Mm. you know so for for karen for your daughter that's getting the best ndis service and sj for your mum it's about getting the best service and support isn't it around her her mental Mm. health yeah look Mm. i know she loves me deep down i really do but it's at the point where I've sat down with my fiancé and we've also just talked about it, that we're looking for our first house, but we're not looking for a small house. We'll have to get an expensive house with four or five bedrooms to accommodate. When mum has a breakdown and when my siblings need somewhere to stay, so we can't even be those young people with just a unit that we can chill in because yeah. I need to account for my so family. More people. Mm-hmm. Because I don't have a family. My mum's side of my family family disowned us for other reasons and my dad's side does not want anything to do with me and does not believe in mental health issues at all because there's a lot of stigma isn't there and mm. discrimination and you've you would have seen and experienced that a lot you know no 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 mental illness you know or no yeah. disability mm. or some of the mm. experiences you've talked about then mm. around your daughter's acquired brain injury mm. and you know mm. people not wanting to engage or participate no. or support and other people looking at you in in a way that judges you mm. sj's lucky that she's been able to find a um a guy who's supportive of her and her caring role but how many care- young carers are out there or older carers are out there doing it on their own oh yeah it's you know mind-boggling really mm. and my heart goes out to them because i know how hard my job is and it was for a while but at least i've got the man there now to support me and that literally drags me away and goes no we're going on a weekend away your mum will be fine or a phone call away we're only a couple of hours away but you need a break and he literally lifts me up and drags me into the car. But That's my heart important. goes out for the people that do not have it and that are doing this alone. Mm. What advice, you know, if you look back, look looking back at yourself as a 17-year-old and looking back at that moment in the hospital when you understood and realised that your daughter had an, an ABI, knowing what you know today, what advice would you have given yourself back then, knowing the things that you know now? What would you say to someone else in your shoes, knowing mm. the journey, knowing the road ahead, knowing what's coming? What would you say? I think it would be very difficult because um, I wouldn't change the way my husband and I approached it because we we did our best. There wasn't anything else there. So it's so different now because you've got yes. so many other avenues to help you. But then the avenue that we're getting from Irma, like the the joy that the people see when Julie comes in on those Mondays, like she just lifts everybody's spirit. I mean, she's a whirlywind, mm. <laughs> but she's there and, you know, she's there and she'll make a time. Um, and I think this is a whole problem with society of today. Everybody's too busy to stop and really look into and, and everything's done by the clock. Um, you know, if you've got an interview and you're trying to get something across and then they'll say, sorry... Oh, we haven't got time. We've run out of time. Excuse me. And I have found I, w- I was never an, an aggravated kind of bumblebee, but I've become an angle, you know, a real bad bumblebee. Um, I will buzz or and will nip. Or a strong advocate, perhaps, others might say. Oh, I, I definitely. I definitely. A- a- anything for Karen. I mean, yep. you girls will see by the end of this month this man that attempt murder on Karen's life. 
he had murdered someone after Karen. He got out too early. So I've had to go through that double and that's made it even harder to get the things that we've we've needed for Karen because of that. And not that I'll go on with all that, but um, the little assistance that you get from for a victim of crime. So there again, I've had to be in that system. Yes. Mm. So there's all these systems that I've had to be in. Yeah. And then, of course, my head, you know, um, you know, it, it's I did remarry, but um, that didn't work out because of my daughter, because mm. I chose to look after my daughter. Yep. So y- your life is never your own. Your life is so the understanding that your life is never your own. But I'm hearing also about finding things that give you joy. You you have to have some time and oh. some space for you. Oh yeah, like I now do art, and I I can laugh at myself now. Mm. It's taken me all these years. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. You yeah. have to, I would tell myself that you need to stop sweating the tiny little insignificant things. Oh, well, you didn't get the washing done today. Don't stress about it. You didn't get the dishes done, but you, your siblings and your mum's fed. Mm. That's great. And take an hour at least for yourself every day. Otherwise, you will go insane. Mm. I went a whole year without looking after myself. I was just nonstop my mum and my siblings, and I got to the point where I really did almost have a mental breakdown. Mm-hmm. I just had to learn to smile again. I forgot what it was like to smile and actually have fun. Mm-hmm. It's important. Julie, final words. Listening to, you know, um, SJ and Lynn's stories, the, the challenges, the trauma, the reliving of the trauma, the trauma never going away. What's, what's your pearls of wisdom that you share with carers? These two people are amazing. Their inner strength, of all the carers I've supported, their strength is amazing, but they need to know it's okay to take time out for themselves. And having groups, support groups, is so important. It's the peer support where you can go into an area and feel totally safe to share your story and know there's no stigma, there's no shame, and they actually do get it. So you're not alone. Mm. Yeah. And you can be yourself. Because these other people around you in that group know where you're coming from and we've all got different issues. Mm. But um, no, and I mean, it's really great we share little times of, of laughter with little verses and, yeah, and, and, and it's not structured. And I think that's the beauty of us because our lives are so structured, like even to this day my life is still structured with Karen, um, but we don't have to be. Yes. And Monday she's got a cleaner that comes in. Yeah. So I can run away and play. So and I play think a really important. good example. Sorry, yeah. Karen, so a really good example is Lynn hasn't been for a little while to our Monday group and she came on, on Monday for the first time and not one person said, Where have you been? What have you been up to? You've been missing it. They all just said, Oh, I love your hair. The colour's different. And it didn't matter that it hadn't mm. been there. It was just, Oh, yeah. your hair's different. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. having that network of supports really important Mm. it's just i can't even get to that group because i work so i take whatever work i can get yeah because i need the money coming because i have no other way of Mm. funding myself because i don't get carers allowance or anything so i work so i miss out on these great support opportunities so i just have julie because i don't even have my friends my friends cannot comprehend how much how tired and they're like oh yeah you've had a long day i'm like no Yes, I've had a long day, but I've also been thinking, has my mum had her medication? And I've got a list of a thousand things going through my head. 
that is mentally exhausting to the point where I can work two hours and yeah, work two hours, but I still at the end of the day, I feel like I've run three marathons. And SJ doesn't actually get any one-to-one support from me either. It's just a phone call when SJ needs to talk. Mm. And I think if the funding was better suited where carers could actually have that one-to-one support and have somebody where they can offload and feel safe to offload. It's would really – we really need it. Yeah. Like I, I really need it and I'm grateful for whatever time Julie can give. Well, I hope what we've shared today – that people that really need to listen to it, yeah. um, members of parliament, um, our local members, which I've, you know, many a time jumped up and down because I'm not too scared. No. Um, let them take on how important it is for carers to have more funding and not to cut out Irma's funding. No, Because they really we're going don't. to have more hospitals wanting to have people with mental breakdowns where this stops a mental breakdown. Exactly. We need this because if you're – the hospitals are already full of people having mental breakdowns. I spent three hours and almost got kicked out by the security because I was fighting for my mum to get in. Not because I needed a break but because I couldn't keep her safe at home. Yeah. Mm. So it's really clear that I think the message I'm hearing is that to do it alone is almost impossible – Having those supports around you are critical and that can be really difficult because family and friends don't often understand, don't understand what you have to do, the huge amount of work and and the challenges that you face. Mm. Can I say a huge thank you for coming in and talking to us so candidly and so openly about your experiences as carers? Um, I think it's certainly been quite um, eye-opening for me, um, thinking about how I might feel as a 17-year-old being responsible for mum and my siblings or as a mum myself um, coming to the realisation that a a, a botched surgery had given my child um, an acquired brain injury and what that must be like and Julie your um, the intensely valuable services and supports that you provide to carers can I congratulate all of you it's very courageous very brave fierce um, women all doing an incredible um, work in the community Um, I think Julie as you said about Esther and Lynn, um, you are in awe of them. Oh, I love them. They're amazing people. Well, you have been listening to uh, Get Real, uh, where we have been talking about carers and who cares. So, Carenza, what was that like talking to SJ and Lynn and Julie? How do you feel? Um, oh, um, very hard to describe, Robin. It was it was very um, an emotional conversation, mm. you know, and I'm, I'm pretty sure that came across in with people listening, listening to um, Lynn and SJ and even Julie about the relentlessness, I think, of being a carer, that it never ends. There's never an off button. There's never a holiday. There's never a time to take a break. And the emotions and the roller coaster ride that it is, the highs and the lows, and how, you know, you're battling every single day on a daily basis. That came across to me really, really, really powerfully.
Something I really heard too was just the number of systems to to navigate. Mm. I think the NDIS is a massive opportunity for a lot of people who haven't been able to get support in the past, which is fantastic. Um, But just the challenges around setting up plans and and actually negotiating with people around those plans can be an extra burden for carers, which is something for us to think about. You know, Mm -hmm. how can we as a community support people to navigate that better? I agree with you, Robin. I think the NDIS is the single biggest, you know, lifetime guarantee change we're ever going to see so that people with lifelong disabilities and mental health conditions can get access to services and supports which in the past they were never guaranteed to have but with any new program or service there's going to be teething problems there's going to be difficulties the expectations that you have and certainly we heard that from the carers that we were talking to don't always match what you think is required and wanted and warranted and needed Mm -hmm. and that's tricky it is tricky. One of the things that, that I heard um, in those interviews was that carers really value one-on-one support so that they can feel safe to offload um, and talk to somebody that they trust and that that kind of needs to happen at a time of the day uh, that, that works for them. So for those who are setting up new carer support programs, that's something to really think about. Um, and also, I guess, for government, what we heard too is that carer support is is really essential. It's a little bit like, you know, the fence at the top of the cliff that present, prevents a worse problem later yep. on, it prevents breakdowns. Um, Isabel, in, in terms of thinking about, you know, caring for carers, where do you think that the real opportunities are for, for us as a community? Definitely in providing support to carers, uh, maintaining some kind of programming for them. It's often not complicated or expensive programming, but it's just having someone at the end of the phone outside of the nine to five Monday to Friday service that might be provided. Um, in the evenings when, pe- when carers are starting to wind down and they have a little bit of time for themselves to think, it would be lovely for them to be able to pick up the phone and know that somebody else is going to be there for them in the weekends as well. Um, nine to five support is fantastic, NDS is fantastic, but there's a whole lot of need outside of those hours and days that need to be catered for as well. Yeah. The other thing I think is some some of the integration between different services and departments. I mean, a lot of our people have episodic issues, right? So they're not just uh, lifetime healthcare problems or mental health issues, but they're up and down all over the place. And maybe our systems aren't as flexible en- enough to be able to respond to their specific needs at a specific time. Um, so some of these things we'll be able to discuss at our next Carers podcast, which will be following up from this one, Carers Part 2, where we, st- we talk to some of the policy uh, advisors and planners around these issues. Um, so we hope to have another discussion there where we can talk about the different sorts of funding opportunities that might be available and how we can ensure that we have that continued care for carers as we proceed. And if you're interested in what support is available for carers, take a look at our show notes and we'll list the resources that we have available because these are in a state of flux and they're changing all the time. Thank you so much for listening and uh, we'll see you next time on Get Real, Talking Mental Health and Disability. 